It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. And now here's today's special guest, Joseph Mockler. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33. So, you know, you go home and your mom's cooking your favorite meal, and you smell it, and you're like, whoo I just want to indulge in that. That's what I want to do this morning, give you a little smell of this truth. I'm by no means going to um, conclude it or um, summarize it fully. This is a huge topic, so I'm going to take just a small portion of it. So, um, Exodus 33, verse 17, we're going to start. Um, and we'll, we'll just dive in from here. And it says this, And so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be when my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will make a way, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And then the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and, pre- and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flock nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first one. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up, went, went up Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took his hand, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood before him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So now we're going to read is what God reveals about himself. The Lord. So this is verse 6. And God passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we'll stop there. And what I want to look at is where he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. So it's interesting, of all the things that God could use to describe himself, he takes this. And it's not just David talking about who God is or Moses, but it's God himself saying, this is who I am. 
so we should take it's God revealing who he is so the word there goodness and truth is the Hebrew word hesed um, and this word appears 248 times in the Old Testament um, and it's a it's a it's a huge word but the King James translates it this way. It's uh, 149 times it's used as mercy, 40 times as kindness, 30 times as loving kindness, 12 times as goodness, 5 times as kindly, 4 times as merciful, 3 times as favor, 1 time as good, 1 time as goodliness, 1 time as pity, 1 time as reproach, and 1 time wicked thing. And it's used 129 times in the Psalms. So a word the Psalms really enjoyed using. Um, so, let me give you some definitions. So sometimes it's best, you know, I think to not put a definition on a, on a word at times, but to allow scripture to speak for itself and say, okay, what does scripture say about this word? And just let scripture say in context, what is this referring to? But I'm going to read just a few things that Strong says, um, just to give us an idea, uh, kind of a handle for, for what they say. So Strong gives these words, um, kindness, pity, favor, good deed, kindly, loving kindness, merciful kindness, mercy, pity. Okay, and so mercy is the main word that King James uses. I think ESV uses, a lo uses um, loving kindness often. Um, and so I want to give, give a definition for mercy, um, from Webster's 1828, which I think they encapsulate harshly well what, this, what the word hesed means. And so here's what, here's what um, Webster says. It says, that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves, the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or, or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is no word in our language to precisely synonymous, synonymize with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion and clemency, but exercised only towards offenders. Mercy is a distinguished attribute of the supreme being. And so that's the idea a lot in scripture, that it's withholding what, se so it's to someone who is of a greater power. So say Casper in here, offends Brandon as his dad and comes up and whacks him, right? Brandon can act in mercy and not give Casper what he deserves, and he can love him. And it's, it's could, could Brandon, um, okay, that, that's, that's a bad analogy. Let me use the same thing. Say dad told Casper to not stick a key in the outlet. Oh, that's, okay, that's a bad analogy still. Um, <laughs> that's going to go bad places. Say Casper can't eat the food that's on the table. <laughs> and Asper, Casper goes, grabs the food, and throws it in his mouth. Right? Well, he was disobeying what Dad said. So, mercy in that case would be to not just withhold the punishment 
that was due to Casper, but then to show him an act of kindness on top of that. So it's both the withholding of what's just to that person, but then also showing kindness. And so what I want to do is um, I want to go through the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, and I think the, the story, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, um, I think Jonah, the book of Jonah summarizes well, um, or gives us a good picture of the word hesed. So, we're just going to start in chapter 1, and we're actually going to read through the whole book. It's, it's pretty short. Um, and I'm just going to make some comments as we go along. This will be fun. Um, it's funny once when you have a, a, a understanding. You know, Jonah's one of those books, you know, it's the child stories book that we all grew up with. And you have an understanding of, oh, this perception of it being like this. And then when you study it, it's like, oh, that's really not what it actually is. Um, so anyways, so let's go through it. So Jonah, um, chapter 1. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son, of the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo from that ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower, lowest parts of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this thing? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had already told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do so that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Then he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly, from the fish's belly, and he said, okay, so, before we go on, I think here in this story, I think that Jonah was actually dead when he prayed, when he was in the belly of the fish. And I'll explain why as, as we look at this, okay? Because um, when I grew up, I, I thought of, like, I had this, I had this picture book, and I, I remember it. It was Jonah, like, sitting there in the fish's stomach with fish all around him swimming. Um, and, but I don't think that's right. And, okay, but I'm going to explain it as we go through his prayer. Okay, so he starts out, and he says in, in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. So we're Sheol. Sheol is the world of the departed. It's hell. Okay? But it also says in verse 1 that the Lord, that then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Okay? So he, but, he, so, but he also says, I'm in Sheol. Right? So I think what it is, it's, James says that death is when the body and the spirit are separated. When they're joined together, that's life. When they're separated, that's death. So I think his body was in the fish. Obviously, his body was. But his spirit had left him, and he was in hell. And I'll, there's, okay, we'll come on going, I'll explain why. There's more. So he said, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the foundations of the mountains. So reeds wrapped around my head, and I went down to the foundations of the mountain, which is the bottom of the ocean. Weeds wrapping around his head in the bottom of the ocean. When you go down the bottom of the ocean, you're drowning. Okay. Um, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. That sounds like death. Yet you have brought me up from my life, from the pit. O Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Okay. So, to also show I think this, in Matthew um, 12, actually, um, I'm going to read something from Matthew, but what's really neat, um, I found a story of a guy in, off the coast in, uh, oh, when was it? 1891, there were, uh, fishermen, they were out whale fishing off the coast of South Africa, and they yelled, you know, they saw a whale out there, and so they sent out their longboats to go get him, and so the spirit, the harpooners went out, and a couple of the guys threw in and um, got the whale, but the whale, you know, tried to fight, went down, came back up, and he was fluttering around, and he hit one of the boats, or one of the, one of the longboats they had, and, you know, the men, um, one, of the, one of the men drowned, and the other guy was lost, and so they presumed he drowned too. But they never found him. And so anyways, after, after hours, the, uh, the whale died. And so they pulled, they pulled the, the whale into the boat, and they were dissecting it. And 
then they, they finished up that night. Well, they didn't finish in. Um, but then the next day, they were, they were doing more on it. And they, had, they were cutting it open. And they saw the stomach. And they saw, like, s- spontaneous life from the stomach. It's like, that's odd. So they went in, and they cut open the stomach. And they found the guy um, named James Bartley. You can find this story on Google. That he was inside the stomach of the whale. And he was still alive, barely. And this is what um, he said. This is, this is great. <laughs> he said, after he recovered his senses, Bartley stole, uh, told how he remembered being thrown from the boat into the water where he was engulfed by darkness and felt himself slipping along a smooth passage that seemed to move and carry him forward. He came to an area with more room in it and was able to reach around. Upon feeling and yielding slimy substances to the walls, he realized he'd been swallowed. There was plenty of air, but it was terribly hot in the stomach, and this drained his energy. That and the horror of his eventual fate caused him to lose his mind and to pass out, yeah, I would imagine. Um, the next thing that he was reasonably sure of was waking in the captain's cabin. Ugh. I'm get claustrophobic. That sounds nasty. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. He lived, okay? And he, they said he was in there. It was a while he was in there for. But he lived um, with no problems except for the fact that where the acid, where his clothes hadn't been covered, um, his skin, the acid from the stomach had burned in his skin. He had all these marks on him from the acidity of the um, stomach of the whale. So, with that, as an interesting story, in Matthew um, 12, verse 38 says this. It said that some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus said that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in there. And that's another reason why I think why Jonah was dead, because Jesus was dead. And Peter says that, yes, he was dead, but he went and preached, even though he was dead in the tomb, yet he went and preached. Um... And it says, this will be a sign. The sign of Jonah. Well, what was the sign of Jonah? Well, resurrection for one. And two, walking around the city. When we see we'll read later on, when Jonah goes back into the city, into Nineveh, you know, he goes around and he has all this, these scars. Well, they're not scars yet. They're just open wounds from the, the fish's uh, stomach. And the same way, when Jesus was going around, um, after he'd risen, he had the marks of his hands and his feet and his side. Well, how do you get that? How'd you get that? Well, I was dead, and I was raised from the dead. Same way in Jonah. How did you get that way? Well, a fish swallowed me, and God resurrected me, and I'm here. So, whether or not 
you think that's right, I, it's not, a, it's not a, a huge deal. You can study it out. But it makes sense in my mind that Jonah was dead. Um, so, um, back to uh, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10. So it says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. And I would say that's probably where resurrection came then when he came back onto dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah at time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city. It was an exceeding great city. A three days journey in extent. So I looked that up, um, what that would be for us. So a three days journey. So if you started, if you walked from DIA, Denver National Airport, and walked to downtown Fort Collins, Google said it'll take you, it's like 72 miles, it'll take you like 23 hours and change. So if you walked three, uh, eight hours a day, you would roughly get there from DIA to um, downtown Fort Collins. It's a long ways, right? Okay, so that's the size of the city. Three days journey. So verse 4, and Jonah began to enter the city on the, first, on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then, the, then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry, so that he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fred, fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. By the way, if you listen to these words, it's very similar to what we started out with in Exodus. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live, for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under, uh, sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant that, that is withered, 
And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on that plant, which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons, which cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and much livestock? It's a really interesting finish to a book. And if you're like me, I scratch my head, like, why was Jonah so angry? Um, but I think if we answer that question, it, it helps uh, understand the story even better. And so, let me just give you a little background of what Nineveh, who the Ninevites, well, they, weren't, they were Assyrians, but the people of Nineveh. So, um, Nineveh was, at that time, was the capital of the country of Assyria. And Assyria was one of the main world powers at that time. And Nineveh, actually, interesting, was, is um, right near current-day Mosul, Iraq. Um, but the Ninevites, though, who they were, though, um, or the Assyrians, they were brutal. And they, they, they ruled by fear. Um, they, were t- they were a terrible people. Like one of the things they would do to their enemies when they captured them, they would take a, a wooden stick, plant it in the ground, and impale people on top of it and let them die. And so they, they ruled by, they were brutal, and they ruled by fear. And so they, when they went in, you know, no one wanted to be captured by them. So a good modern-day equivalent would be, think of ISIS, modern day. S- similar place and similar fear. Um, if ISIS was a world power. And so that's who they were. And it's interesting, if you look at a map, you have um, the, I forgot who the other main world power is, but Assyria is, well, if you guys are looking at it, Assyria would be like up here. Um, and then the other world power was down by Egypt. I don't know who it was at that time. They were down here. And then in between those was the Fertile Crescent, where you had to cross to to go fight each other. And in between that was Israel. They were right in the middle of all this war between the two of them. Um, and so, with that, that makes sense why Jonah would flee. If he says, okay, this is a world power. They are terrible. They deserve destruction. And it's interesting. He didn't preach. Uh, he didn't say, hey, repent. Oh, well, he... He, yeah, he didn't. He didn't say that God will offer you away. But Jonah knew the character of God. And so all of Jonah's message, it was so simple. He said, um, in verse 3, he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it that we have. And Nineveh repented because of that. And so you understand the, why Jonah didn't want to go there. Because he's like, they don't deserve. Like, what of us, who of us would want to go to ISIS and tell them to repent, right? I'd be like, I'll get my head chopped off if I do that, right? That God's going to destroy you in 40 days? The chances of them killing you would be pretty good. So out of one is fear, 
for what they would do to you, and two, wanting to have them um, receive the just wrath that they deserve. And, um, and that's what Jonah says. Jonah says, I knew. Where is this? In chapter 4, verse 3. Or sorry, verse 2. He said, that's why I flew, flew, fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, or hesed, one who relents from doing harm. And I think that, that shows so beautifully what God is like in his mercy, that God will show justice, but he is so merciful, and so much more merciful than what we as people would be. That we, we would be like Jonah and say, hey, they deserve justice. And, but if you look at this word throughout scripture, that God would chooses rather to show mercy and favor towards people, well, kindness towards people, time and time and time and time again. It's interesting that, that the New Testament says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And not that God, that God won't show justice. He will. And that's, if you, that can be the problem with looking at one attribute of God, is you can, you can so emphasize that, that you lose the other side. Um, but in, in Exodus 34, he said, he said, by no means clearing the guilty, that they will pay for what they've done. And it's interesting that 150 years later, after Jonah came, that the prophet Nahum came to Nineveh, same city, and they had gone back to their sin, and God act, God showed them justice. And it says in um, Nahum, it says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord takes vengeance on his enemies. He reserves it for his adversaries. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will in no way acquit the guilty. He goes on to say later, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers will be heard no more. In the last verse, he says, there is no healing for your injury. Your sin has gone too far. There's no healing for it. Your wound is grievous. All who hear news about you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness continually passed? And that God will show justice. But it was 150 years later and he had let Nineveh go all that way. And that God is so, so merciful towards his creation. And I think, you know, how often are we that way? And, you know, it's interesting to come into the New Testament. And um, it says in, in, John, uh, in John 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And the uh, Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the New Testament, um, the word hesed they use there 
for the word grace, that he was full of hesed and truth. And so Jesus was the full representation of a father, and he was full of it. That it wasn't something that it was just a little bit. And even in the Old Testament, it says that God is abundant in these things, in mercy and truth. There's not just a little bit of it, but God has an abundance that he desires to show to people in his goodness. And so I thought, you know, how much am I like that? And that's what the Lord has really been working on me, is how much do I show kindness to other people? Uh, you know, I think in our, in our society especially, we so go on what is right. And, you know, I have my rights, that I'm, I deserve this, and I deserve that. And someone else does this to me, well, they deserve to get that, right? And, you know, if someone cuts me off in the road, well, I have, a, I have a right to become upset with them and to lay on my horn at them. Um, and what we do, so many times, I was, um, I, was, I was back home a month or two ago, and one of my younger brothers was really giving me a hard time about uh, something I was doing. And, and, in, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like it was wrong, but he was, he, he was hitting me pretty good. Um, like verbally, and so I immediately, I'm like, okay, here we go, let's go, and so I immediately opened my mouth to come right back at him with some sarcasm to like, to like hit him down and to give him back, and I started saying it, I'm like, Joe, shut up, because, and I, I just tell myself, because that's so often what we do, is someone gives it to us, we're like, okay, I have a right to then give it back to them, but that's not the way of God, and if you look at in, um, if you turn to Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus said this. He said in, in um, 5, verse 38, he, he said, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile with him, go two. And from him who wants to, to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of, the f of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I think you could summarize all that. What he's saying is show hesed to, to the, those around you. Not just to your neighbors, but go beyond that to your enemies and those who have wronged you, that you show them kindness. And he said, that's what God does. He's, um, 
in verse 5, he says that you may be the sons of God, for he makes, I thought of that, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust. Not that he just doesn't allow it, but he actually causes it to happen. He causes good to come on those, on the evil and on the good. And that's what God does. And in that, Jesus is like, you should do that to your enemies, to those who hurt you and cause you pain, that you should show them kindness in return. And I've just been, that's been hitting me over this past month that I've been studying this, is how much my mindset can be so often in my flesh to when someone wrongs me to then fall into their game and then go back at them. As opposed to saying, okay, they wronged me. That doesn't matter. That I'm still sh- sh- supposed to love them. And, you know, it's, it's usually not someone slapping me across the face and me turning their cheek. And it could be, and if that did, that I, I should. And still show them love. But it can be small things. When someone offends me and does something that's wrong, oh, it's so easy to, to just think differently about them and to then to then give them back, in a sense, what they gave me. Um, and we see that, you know, in the life of Jesus, how Jesus, over and over, didn't give people what they deserved, but that he showed them hesed over and over and over. You think of the, the woman caught in adultery. The, the, the uh, scribes came to him, and they're like, we've caught this girl in the very act of adultery. Like the law says, do this, right? This is what is just to do to her. But Jesus didn't act on that law. He acted on a higher law. And, you know, there's, there you could look at Peter and what he did and just all the disciples denying the Lord and yet he still chose to love them. And so Romans, but Romans 12 Well, let me, ma- let me have a thought real quick. So, in God showing hesed and kindness, he can't allow, it's not that he overlooks sin and lets it go. A just God can't do that. There must be the payment for the price of that sin. So it's not that God just overlooks it and says, oh, I'll forget it. But that there still had to be a, pen- a payment for that sin. And that's why the cross had to be there. There's an old hymn that says, it's where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. And it did in the cross. That Jesus took that wrath that, that should have been given to us because what we had done and to the sin of the world and took it on himself so that we could all be shown the hesed of God and not suffer the penalty of the sin. And I was, I was, I was, I was just thinking on this topic, or this whole idea, last week. Um, and I was, I was thinking about a song came to my mind, the, the old hymn, The Love of God is Greater Far. And I'm like, that, that song makes a lot of sense if it would be the Hesed of God. I'm like, that sounds terrible. It would make a lot of sense. I'm like, oh well. And then the next day, I thought I was thinking about it some more, it came back to my mind. I'm like, I should just look that up and see what the, what the story is behind that. It was really fascinating what I found. That... Um, the song was written in uh, 1917 uh, by Frederick N. 
Liam in California, and he had, he had heard a sermon the night before on the love of God, and he went home, and he was just basking in that. He was so relishing in that, and he woke up. He was still super excited about this. So he went to work that day, and while he was at work, he, um, these lyrics were coming to his mind. So he got home and wrote down um, two verses that came to him right away. And in those days, though, you really had to have a third verse, or it wasn't a complete song. And he couldn't come up with a third verse. And nothing came to his mind. He couldn't come up with anything. And, but then, while he was sitting there thinking, a poem came to his mind that he'd read before. And he went and looked it up. And it fit perfectly with the melody that he'd written. And he didn't know this, but he found out later, or someone had found out later, that the poem was actually written in 1050, in the year 1050, so almost a thousand years ago, by a G German Jewish rabbi named Ben Isaac Norum. And he wrote the last verse, which says this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And to a Jew, what's love? I would argue that, he was ref that, that Ben Isaac was referring to Hesed. That he's like, if you would write of the Hesed of God, that you would drain the oceans dry and, and the, the sky couldn't contain the space to write of the Hesed of God. The thing is a, is a really neat um, picture. Whether that's what it is or not, what he was referring to, there's another Hebrew word he could have used, but I'd like to think that it was that. Um, but anyways, but so coming back to how this applies just to us, that um, Hebrews, or not Hebrews, Romans 12. At the end of verse 12, or chapter 12, sorry. Um, let's see. In verse 14, Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one for evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay it, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you know, Proverbs says, what's desired in a man is his, his kindness, or his hesed. And that's what's desired of us. As Paul says, don't repay evil for evil but repay evil for good and in doing so you'll heap coals of fire he's, he's, he's quoting from Proverbs that you'll 
sheep coals of fire on their head, which is like you will be awakening their conscience as you do, as you show them kindness when they show you evil, that it's awakening, pricking their conscience. And I was thinking back of how, I, how that's been shown to me so much. Um, I was thinking especially when I was young in my, I have, um, there's 11 kids in my family, right? And I have five older brothers, three sisters, and then two younger brothers. And so the gap between um, my oldest brother, seven years, or so my next oldest brother. And I was always, when I was young, I was always trying to be with the older boys. And especially on that brother, Jed. And I was such a brat. And s- I was so annoying. Um, just over and over and over. I couldn't shut up. And I, w- I was just so annoying. I gave him so much grief. Um, like, just whatever I could do to get his attention or mess with him. Like, he would have, he was, he loved his Legos, and he was, like, super organized. We'd have all these Legos, like, laid out perfectly. And just for fun, you know, I would come in and mess them up just, f- just f- to be whatever. And um, I rem- but I was, I remember verbally, oh, I was, I wouldn't shut up. And I was so aggravating and annoying. I remember one day, he, he got, t- <laughs> this is when he w- acted more of wrath and kindness, but <laughs> I remember it was in winter in Florida, and he, I was downstairs, and I don't know what I was saying, but it reached a point that it was enough, and so he opened the door, grabbed me by my, by my belt, and ran me outside and threw me into the pool, and I'm like, what? Um, and so I did so much for him, uh, to him, that was so wrong. But I look back on that, and even though I did all those things, and even though he got annoyed with me, yet he still continued to show me kindness when I wasn't following the Lord. And Jed played a huge part in me coming to the Lord. And I look back now, that as he was just, as, as Paul would say, heaping coals of fire on my head, that I look back now, that Jed has one of the most open places. He's one of, the, one of the voices that I respect more than anybody, more than most people, to speak into my life because of what he did to me and how he showed me kindness. And so I think of that, that he could have easily given me what I deserved over and over, but yet he didn't, and it opened the door and the Lord used it. And so I think of that in my life and our lives, who is there or where are areas that we need to show kindness to people and not what they deserve? I know the Lord's just bringing it to my mind. As I'm doing something, I start doing it. I'm like, I can't do that. Um, And to allow the Lord to burn that in us. And if you look at at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, that, let me just turn there real quick, in Galatians 5, and then we can finish with this. In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, that, against such there is no love. Well, if you, ca- if you pull, these are great, some of these are great definitions of hesed. Love, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness. They're all, they're all descriptions of showing hesed. Those five, I think, are all great descriptions of showing hesed. And that is the fruit of the Spirit is within us, that his life is in us, that that will naturally just flow out of us, and it should.
And so, that's what I want us. I want us to go and just ask the Lord where that applies to our lives, because it has to change us. And we can't just come to the Word and say, and look at it, and think, oh, that's a great thought. But it's got to change us and transform us. Otherwise, we become deceived if we're not hear or not doers of the word and just hearers. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do that in our lives. Lord, we just thank you for your hesed and your kindness and your mercy in our lives. Lord, that how you were so, so patient with us when we were against you and we were walking after the course of this world and we were walking in darkness and in the lust of our flesh and yet you still showed us your kindness and you drew us to yourself and you didn't give us what we deserved. And Lord, if it wasn't for that, that none of us would be here to testify of your goodness. But you have shown us abundantly. You've shown us abundant mercy. And Lord, as you have shown that abundantly to us, Lord, may we not keep that to ourselves, but show that to those around us that we would just give of what you have done in us. And that, 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 that the fruit of the Spirit would just be so evident in our lives that people couldn't get around us without us heaping coals of fire on their head. For as they do wrong to us, that we show them kindness and that we love them with your love. And Lord, it may not be something we do in our own strength, our own effort, but it would be as the life of Jesus just flows out of us that we would do that. And Lord, would you show us areas where we aren't doing that, where, where we are repaying evil for evil. And Lord, would we just be a people marked by your love. Not that we overlook sin, but that we choose to show mercy and kindness when people wrong us. And so we just thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for that this is who you are, Lord. And that it doesn't change. That this is who you've been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And who you will continually be. And so we just thank you for this, Lord. And ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.